I'm excited uh, just uh, to look at this passage of Scripture with you today. We've kind of been in a little bit of a mini-series as we've been looking at the book of Acts. And in particular, we've zoomed in on, honed in on, the story of Cornelius, right? So if you've been with us over the past couple weeks, we've been looking at the story of Cornelius in the book of Acts And it's a really pivotal part in the book of Acts. And some would even say it's one of the most important passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And that's because it's where you and I come into the story, where you and I come on the scene. It's where God invites Gentiles, non-Jews, into the kingdom of God. It's incredible, right? That was never even a thought in the mind of Israel. They never considered that God would actually bring outsiders in, that God would bring Gentiles to be a part of the kingdom. That was never even a thought in their mind. And even as they approach the idea that they're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth and the gospel was for all people, what they meant is that all of Israel, they didn't actually consider that God actually meant all people that everybody would have the opportunity to put their faith in Jesus and by believing in him, that they could be saved. And so this is an incredible passage of scripture as we read about Cornelius and God's redemptive plan by including the Gentiles in salvation. So over the past few weeks, we've kind of observed the relationship between God's sovereignty and the work of salvation and the responsibility that we have as the church to share the gospel. It's incredible. God is in control of everything. Truly, he really is. God is sovereign over all of creation, and yet somehow we are responsible. We're responsible for taking the gospel to the ends of the earth and making Jesus known, and it's through us and our obedience that God brings about his sovereign will. I don't understand it. (laughs) We just can't. God is so much greater, so much bigger and higher than we are. And I'm just thankful that God includes us in his plan. He didn't just save us, right? But he gave us a purpose. And that purpose is to be his witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's where we're today. That's how we got to where we are at this point in the history of the church. So we watched as the relationship between God's sovereignty over salvation and our responsibility played itself out in the story of Cornelius. And then we saw Peter as he had a vision from heaven, right, of a sheet coming down, and that sheet was filled with all sorts of unclean animals. And Peter is having this vision while Cornelius is also having an encounter with an angel of his own preparing him to receive salvation, preparing him to receive the gospel. And Peter is going to be the one who does that, who shares the gospel with Cornelius. And Peter has this incredible vision of this sheet coming down from heaven filled with unclean animals. And God tells Peter to rise, Peter, kill and eat. It's a really strange kind of vision Eventually, though, Peter understood this to mean that God was accepting the Gentiles into his kingdom, that he was accepting those things that they would have previously considered to be unclean or common, that God was accepting outsiders in. And then last week, we learned through Peter's example how to be a powerful witness, 
If you remember, Pastor Tim talked as Peter shared the gospel with Cornelius and his whole household. Pastor Tim talked, there we go, lost my mic there for a second. Pastor Tim talked about how we could be a powerful witness and how we could be used of God in incredible ways. And that happens by having a transformed heart, right? By sharing a gospel-centered message and then providing a grace-filled invitation. That's how we are able to be powerful witnesses for God. So we see all of these elements on display in Peter's presentation of the gospel to Cornelius and his household. And now we're at like the climax of the story. It's where all of the elements of what's happening here in these chapters and in these verses, it's where we get to see how all of those elements come together in an incredible way. And we're about to witness the miraculous saving power of God at work in the lives of the Gentiles. It's really, it's really incredible. It's an awesome passage of scripture, and we get to zoom in on the moment that Cornelius and his household responded to salvation. So before we get into that too deeply, I want to share a story with you about my oldest daughter, Harper. So a few weeks ago, Harper came home from school telling us about a new friend she had made. His name was Zachary. She was talking all about her new friend she had made, and you know, she's just a kid, so I don't have to be worried about the whole boy-girl thing right now. She's just, she's five, all right? So don't even think about that, okay? So she met a new friend at school, and his name was Zachary. Apparently, her teacher had been telling her class for a few days that they were going to be getting a new classmate. Now, unfortunately, as is often the case with young kids, their new classmate wasn't so readily received in by the rest of her class, by the rest of their other uh, group. So you could imagine then how proud Leah and I were as parents when Harper shared with us that she played with her new classmate during recess so that he would have a friend. Aww, right? Oh my goodness. That was so, I was so excited when, when she shared that this new classmate of hers, that she went out of her way to spend time with Zachary so that way he wasn't alone. And then in the latest episode of How Was Your Day at School, Harper shared with us that she took her new friend to the nurse when he had fallen at recess, missing out on her own recess time just to make sure that he was okay. That was like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It was like, that was such a blessing for Leah and I because this was one of those very rare moments as a parent where you're thinking, I think we're doing something right, you know? <laughs> I think that we're doing something right. <laughs> and those moments are few and far between because as most parents know, sometimes it's really hard to know if what we're doing is actually making a difference, but it is. By the grace of God, it is making a difference. Now, funny enough, we have all had this same experience at some level in our lives, right? And even as adults, we play this game that kids play in school. I remember, well, not remember, last week we had our parents versus students kickball game, and the parents won by, like, a lot, by a lot. <laughs> Woo! Right? Not quite by a lot. And there might have been, so here's the thing I learned as a parent. You can change the rules as you go right? That's what you got to do. That's how you win. Don't, I hope none of the students heard me say that because they won't think it's fair. Anyway, 
We've all played this game. And so I remember last week as I was talking to one of our, my leaders, she had said that she's scarred from school because of not being picked for the team. You know what I mean? And we've all experienced that, that feeling of rejection, you know? And of course, she was kind of laughing about it. Wasn't, didn't really scar her. But as adults, we play this game as well where we kind of separate ourselves into these groupings of people that we feel most comfortable with. And yeah, there's room for friendships, but there's also that reality that sometimes we only associate with people who think like act think like us, act like us and and talk like us. We even do this, believe it or not, in church. Don't we? Sometimes we're the best at it. You know, we're a little less obvious about how we go about playing this game, right? We call it having healthy boundaries. We have healthy boundaries, you know, which makes it easier for us to admit than just simply saying, I just don't like that person. You know, I just had some healthy boundaries in place to keep that person at arm's length. You know, it's, you just don't want to allow them into your life because that would be too difficult, you know? So if you remember, last week, Pastor Tim had us visualize the face of somebody that we would love to come to know Christ, Well, I want to kind of broaden that idea, and I'm going to ask us to take it a step further and ask for you to kind of zoom out a little bit, broaden your scope, and visualize the faces of your coworkers. Visualize the faces of classmates that you have or some friends. Visualize some faces of family members who you just think are beyond the ability to come to know Christ. Visualize the faces of people who you don't feel like going out of your way to share the gospel with. I want you to think of some of those people, and then I want you to consider with me that every time we neglect to share the gospel with them, it's like not picking them for our team. It's like rejecting them and thinking that it's okay to have healthy boundaries because God will send somebody else to save them. But what I'm saying is that God put them in your path And that you're called, that your school, your workplace, your home, that's your mission field. And that every time we neglect to take the opportunity for whatever reason to share the gospel with unsaved people, it's like overlooking them and not picking them for our team. But God is choosing some of these people. God is doing an incredible work in the lives of some of these people that he's put in your path. And all he asks you to do is open your mouth to be a witness for him. To share what you so undeservingly received, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. And we don't want to reject people and not pick them for our team, especially if God is including them and if God is drawing them. So if you remember, within our current series, we discussed previously that there was this dividing wall of hostility that was within the temple, right? The temple was the place of worship for Israel, and that within the temple, there was a dividing wall of hostility. It wasn't like this massive wall. It was about as tall as me, just a little bit shorter. And on the wall, there was actually these blocks that inscribed on them warned Gentiles that if they crossed the dividing wall of hostility, that they were responsible for their own lives and ultimately the death that they would bring on themselves. Because if they crossed the dividing wall of hostility, they were given by the Romans, the Jews were, the latitude to take the life of those Gentiles. And there was this dividing wall of hostility that prevented Gentiles from actually being able to know God and worship him. 
And if we were honest with ourselves and we did some kind of examination of our own hearts, we would see that there are dividing walls of hostility within us that prevent us from accomplishing the call of God on our life, which is to be his witness to the ends of the earth. That there are dividing walls of hostility even within our own heart that cause us to keep our mouth shut when we know we should say something. There's those dividing walls of hostility that prevent us from sharing the gospel with those people, with that kind of person. Maybe God called somebody else to them, just not me, because I just don't interact well with them. I really don't. You know what I mean? Like we justify in our own mind why God has only called us to people who look like us, act like us, and talk like us, because, you know, that's like, that's easy for me. You know, but the reality is, is we need to allow those dividing walls of hostility to be torn down in our lives so that we can accomplish the call of God on us to be his witness. So one of the many challenges the early church faced is that initially they thought that God only wanted to save people like them. That when God said he wanted to save all people, it just meant people from around the world who were Jewish or who were Israelites. They didn't actually consider that God wanted to save all people, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So what we're witnessing here in this passage with Cornelius and the Gentiles receiving the gospel, and not just receiving the gospel, but being filled with the Spirit, is absolutely unthinkable. It's impossible in the minds of the early church. They never would have considered that salvation would be made available to the Gentiles, let alone that God would make his home in the hearts of the Gentiles. You see, they were, they were clean, you know, men. They were ritually clean. The Jews were ritually clean. The Gentiles were ritually unclean. How could the Holy Spirit live in someone who is common and unclean? And what we read in the book of Acts even is that God doesn't dwell in the temple made by human hands. And we can even read then in 1 Corinthians that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what we're about to see take place with Cornelius is unlike anything anybody ever saw coming. God is about to do the impossible. He's about to save and fill the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. And it causes us to consider and it challenges us to think, if God doesn't prevent others from coming to know him, if God includes others, why do we have such a hard time including others? Why do we have such a hard time being inconvenienced to go out of our way and share the gospel with those around us? And I, I'm guilty of this too, right? Like, I know how it's hard. It's like, it's, it's hard, it's hard, especially when you feel like, well, I don't know what I would say, or I don't know how they're going to receive me. And I think the biggest excuse that we use sometimes is, is fear, is fear of how it's going to be received or how people are going to respond. Or, but I think we use that fear as an excuse, and what we don't realize that we're doing is that we're neglecting to pick people for the team, we're neglecting to do the one thing that we're called to do, which is to be God's witnesses. And we're also neglecting to realize that the Holy Spirit is preparing the hearts of people who he's chosen, who God has chosen to be saved, and that God put those people in your path for the purpose of you sharing your faith with them. So the first thing, and the first point that I want to make is that God includes others, even Gentiles. 
in verse 44 and 46, it tells us in this passage that while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And quite literally, while Peter was preaching his sermon, the Holy Spirit interrupted him. And I know that some of us would love for that to happen on a Sunday, right? We would love for the Holy Spirit to interrupt the preacher from preaching. But it's important for us to continue to understand the significance of what is fully taking place in this passage. There's this distinction made in verse 45. It says, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. I love that. Even on the Gentiles. We could fill that blank in with our name. Even on Kyle. Even on you. That God saved even you. And so we have these two groups present. We have those who are circumcised, the Jews, likely men who were familiar with Pentecost and could have been there and filled with the Spirit, witnessing what was now becoming known as the Gentile Pentecost. These are unclean or common people who are being filled with the Spirit of God. This is what Jesus was trying to explain to Peter in his vision when he said to him, what God has made clean, do not call common. It goes on to say in verse 46, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. It's actually important that we pause right there and we try to understand what's happening because it would be easy for us to get hung up on this passage and build an entire theology that suggests spirit baptism is a subsequent work of salvation marked by speaking in tongues. However, that is not what's happening in this passage. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the spirit of God. At the moment that you believe in Jesus, you can't separate the two. That's how the Spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we're his children, is what it says in Romans. There isn't this subsequent work that takes place as if you're saved and then later you're filled with the Spirit. No, it's the Spirit's power that allows us to say no to sin and to say yes to God. We as a Christian can't operate without the Spirit, so That's not what's happening in this passage. If we think that way, it misses the significance of what's actually taking place. You see, people get hung up on this idea that, you know, they're saved, then they're filled with the Spirit, and then they speak in tongues. Oh, that must be how it works. That must be the pattern. But that's actually not the pattern that Luke is laying out for us in Scripture. We have uh, the Spirit, so we have the Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, where the disciples spoke in tongues. Then in Acts 17, we see this, uh, the Spirit being poured out on the Samaritans through the laying on of hands. And now in these verses, we see the Gentiles receiving the Spirit, and this is what's important, in a way that mimics what happened on Pentecost and would be unmistakable to the Jews who were present. They see that God did the same thing in the Gentiles that he did in them on the day of Pentecost. What they're seeing here take place is they're saying, God accepts all people. God accepts not just the Jews, not just the Samaritans, but also the Gentiles. That God includes others. 
So what is happening and what can be easily missed is that God is including others. Or to borrow words from Luke, even the Gentiles can be saved and filled with the Spirit. Because that was always God's plan. God saves us and fills us with his Spirit. Yes, even you and I. You could just replace the word Gentiles with your name. Yes, even you. He can do the same thing then for your neighbor, for your coworker, or for your classmate. If God saved you, he can save anybody he wants. Because what was so special about us that he would choose me? I can tell you, at least for my sake, nothing. There's nothing that was so special about me that God chose me, and that's what then compels me to share the gospel with other people. That if God chose me, he can choose anybody he wants. And if the way that he does that is by me sharing my faith so that people can come to know him, that's what we gotta do. That we're responsible to share our faith everywhere we go so that God can sovereignly work his plan of salvation in the lives of other people. So if God includes others, the church should also include others that we should include others as well. So how does the early believers react to this? Peter responds to what God is doing in the Gentiles in the only way possible. Like God, he includes them. Peter has no choice. He can't stop what God is doing, nor can we. If God wants somebody, he's gonna pursue them and he's gonna get a hold of their hearts. The question is, do you want to be used by God to be the one who shares the gospel with them? Or do you just want to sit on the sidelines and you're saved and that's fine, but never be used by God for anything greater than that? I don't know about you, but I want to do what God has called me to do because when I get to heaven, as you've heard Pastor Tim say, I want to hear those words that we read in, his word, in God's word. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear when I get to heaven, and that's contingent upon me doing what God tells me in his word to do, which is to share my faith, to share the gospel, to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to be witnesses in my home, at school, or at work. That's what you and I are called to do, and I want to be like God, including all those who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. So Peter says, he says in this verse, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So Peter finally gets it, and we can kind of really capture this even more in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28, where it says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Our identity is not found in the color of our skin, the amount of money we have in our bank, or is it found in our sexual identity? Our identity is found in Jesus Christ. You're a Christian, period. That's it. There's nothing that comes before it. Our identity is found in Christ. This is the thing that drives me nuts about what's happening in our world right now. Whenever we turn on the news or read the latest article on Facebook, as if, you know, those articles that we, 
can I just say something for a second? Parents used to tell me all the time, don't believe everything you read on the internet. And now my mom's sending me articles that she read on Facebook as if they're the truth. It's not true. Practice what you preach. Come on. <laughs> right? Like not every article you read on Facebook is, is great. Okay? Can I, if you want to read something, read God's word. Like why would we take the world's lead on this stuff when God's word speaks to it? Why would we listen to the social commentary on the news as if they're experts in what's happening in our world when God already tells us these things? We don't need the world to take the lead on these issues. We have God's word which speaks to the issues of racism and speaks to the issues of sexual identity. Why don't we just read God's word? Why don't we just read God's word when it speaks to the topics that we see in the latest news headline? We wouldn't have to take the world's lead on these issues if we just trusted God and took him at his word. And so, my challenge then, this might sound like a, I kind of got off on a little bit of a tangent, so you're going to have to forgive me for that. My challenge then for us is if, if we're a part of this thing, like if you're in on this, like if you are a Christian, my challenge for us then is if, if you're sold out for this, be baptized. Now I'm speaking to some of us here. Like, be baptized because that's how we identify with Christ. That's how we say, I'm not going to take the world's lead on these topics. That's how we say, I'm not going to find my identity in what the world says I should find my identity in. This is how we're saying, I'm going to find my identity in Christ by being like him in his death, burial, and resurrection by being baptized. I really want to challenge us here that we would, as we read this passage, take seriously baptism. And that if we've yet to be baptized, that we would realize that we're being disobedient. Don't be disobedient. Baptism is how we identify with Christ as a believer. I was talking to Dave Kroll before, after the service. I'm going to use what he said because it was so perfect. Could you imagine if you got married and then you told nobody who your spouse was? That would be insane. You told people like, you didn't tell them the name of your spouse or who it was. Like if I did, like, if I did that with Leah, like if I married Leah and then no, didn't tell anybody who she was, she would, like, she would kill me in my sleep, I'm pretty sure, right? But that's the same thing when we're a Christian not, not being willing to be baptized. It's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nobody knows it, and I'm not going to actually do anything that shows that I've been identified with Christ. That's insane. Why would you do that? So I really want to encourage you as Christians, as we look at this passage, let's give up our identity in the world. And let's give up trying to identify with things in this world. And let's, through baptism, find our identity in Christ. Amen? So I love that as we read this passage, Peter actually isn't the one doing the, bapti the baptism. As you'll see, Peter is going to have to answer for his interactions with the Gentiles. Peter's in trouble right? He's doing something he's not supposed to do. Let's be more like Peter in that regard, okay? So Peter is going to have to answer for his interactions with the Gentiles, but he's kind of getting some backup here, right? Peter only preaches the message, but he has the other guys baptize them. So he's made accomplices in the crime, so to speak. So what I'm saying is, how about we become co-conspirators with Christ and bring people to church who don't belong here? How about we become co-conspirators with Christ and reach out to those people who we think, man, they could never be saved. How about we like get past the dividing lines of our own heart 
and we actually reach out to people who think differently than us and share the gospel with them and see if just maybe God doesn't want to save them. Let's be like Peter and just kind of step across those dividing lines and tear down the wall of hostility in our hearts. So we learn a lot from Peter and his interactions with Cornelius, and his humble obedience to God is the key. Peter had no idea that God intended to make salvation available to the Gentiles and fill them with his spirit, but he was obedient to sharing the gospel everywhere he went. That's all we're called to do. We don't have to understand it. We just have to be obedient to the call of God, which is to be his witness everywhere we go. He learned in this process that God includes others. Yes, even Gentiles. And because God includes others, so should the church. The primary way in which we can do this by identifying with Christ, the primary way is through baptism and identifying through baptism with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's like a seal just showing the world that, man, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live for Christ. Amen? That's what they're saying here. So if the worship team actually wants to go ahead and make their way to the stage, we're going to transition here in just a few moments into communion. So as we're kind of wrapping things up, as Christians, we need to stop mistaking healthy boundaries for the wall of hostility in our life. Do you know what I'm saying when I say that? Like we need to step out of our comfort zone here a little bit and, and stop and stop calling healthy boundaries. Start calling healthy boundaries what they actually are, which is this wall of hostility that prevents us from sharing the gospel with people who are different from us. Trusting that like Cornelius, God is sovereignly calling people to salvation through his son. He's using you and I to be the ones who share the good news. And if God saved us, who can't God save? If God saved you, who can't God save? If God included us in salvation, if he gave us a seat at the table, if he gave us a voice, who can't God do that for? And now we have the opportunity to be reminded of what Christ did for us as we take communion together as the body of Christ. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I just want to point something out. The worship team is going to play here in just a moment and just allow for us to have some time to examine our hearts, which is actually what Corinthians 11 talks about in regards to communion, that when we do this, when we're reminded of what Christ has done for us, right, you're a Christian now. Your life's all cleaned up. It's perfect. You forget what it was like to live without Christ, and suddenly you start, it's just so easy for us to become so puffed up and think like, oh yeah, I think I actually kind of deserved this now that I've got my act together. It's like, no, do you remember what it was like before you came? While you were still sinners, Christ died for you. That was the moment that God got a hold of your heart. And so I just want us to take some time to examine our hearts and see if we don't have some of those dividing walls of hostility. But here's what it says in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. Ouch. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Is it possible that sometimes as the church, we're doing more harm than good? Is it possible that because of the divisions among us, that sometimes we're actually turning people off to the gospel because they see how divided we are as the church? And although they read about God and how he included others, they don't feel that same sense of inclusion when, when they come to church. We need to be willing to include those who God will save, those who God will set apart for his purposes. And we need to just consider, is there something that's preventing me from sharing the gospel with others? We're gonna take a few moments here as the worship team sings. And I just wanna encourage us to examine our hearts in that area to consider where is that dividing wall of hostility in us and ask that God would help to tear that down in us, amen.